Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Again there, friends in Whitecaps land, you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, broadcasting from the University of British Columbia from the unceded Musqueam Territory. You can listen to us on 101.9 FM or citr.ca online. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and we're joined tonight by... Steve Pander, Zachary Adam Eisenhower, and Jay Duke. And we're, we're bringing you... It's going to be a round table... We are still around the table. Um, unfortunately, we had a couple of folk that couldn't make it, but we're always welcome to have Jay here. So we're going to kind of have a normal show plus one. I'm still calling it a round table. Steve's not. But yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. It's been a, a good couple of days for the Whitecaps. Two big Cascadian derby wins. MLS game on Friday night. We covered that in our post-game show. If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, get on to aftn.ca and listen to that now. Today... In Portland, Sunday afternoon, Whitecaps 2, really gritty performance, 1-0 win. Under the cosh for a lot of the game, six minutes to go, three and two break, great play by Gloria Amanda, and then the rebound came to Thomas Sanner, poked it away, three points, back-to-back wins, back-to-back Cascadia Derby wins for WFC 2 as well. So, fantastic stuff. We've got a lot to talk about. What we're going to do in this show is we're going to be in two parts. Part one, we're going to do a state of the white caps, look at a number of things just to do with the white caps right now. Second part, we're going to look at state of Canadian soccer, you could almost say. We're going to look at the World Cup bid for 2026, and we're going to have a little bit of chat about the Canadian Premier League. We're also going to bring you some chat with Colin Elms and Will Cromack from TSS Rovers, and we're doing a new segment with David Oosted called Me, My Shelf and I. It's all about books, and he's the first person to kick it off, and he's just going to tell us what books excite him and, yeah, just what he's reading just now. So let's get the show on the road. So we're going to start by talking about where the Whitecaps are just now, six games into this season. Sitting on seven points, two wins, one draw, three defeats, currently seventh in the West, one point off the playoff places, if that matters at this point of the season, three from the basement if that matters, from from this point of the season as well. Colorado, last year's big front runners sitting bottom right now, so who knows what's going to happen with that. So first question to really just to pose to you guys is, how do you feel the teams looked through these first six games? 
what's been some high points? What's been some major concerns for you? Well, I mean, your point is correct in that I don't think, you know, the, the points uh, matter. The positions don't really at this point. There's there's so much time left in the season. Um, the important thing is how the, the team is looking and how the team is playing. And that's the the one point where I think you have to be concerned if you're a, a Whitecaps supporter. You know they they have cleaned up a bunch of the the some some of the issues that they've had last year, um, particularly the back end uh, has has started to look like it's coming into form a little bit. Uh, Kendall Waston looks uh, like he's remembered how to to defend properly. Um, Matthias Laba is back on form. Um, William seems to be an adequate right back, which I think is one of the reasons why. Uh, Boston is has improved so much. So, you know, some of those issues do uh, bode well for the future of this the season here. But there's a, still a lot of question marks. the The team still hasn't really got an, an identity. You you don't really know how the Whitecaps are going to come out and and play just now. They had such a fantastic game against uh, at LA, and I and I wrote about it with the. Um, the two defensive midfielders being so involved in attack, and then the next game they come out uh, and and completely the opposite. So it, it's it's really kind of confusing. The midfield doesn't look to be really that cohesive yet. The attack has shown some pieces of of um, inspiring bits with a whole lot of nothingness in between. So uh, it's it's tough right now. It doesn't look the the greatest, but uh, you know it is still early season. I mean, you, you make a good point there about the the defensive midfielders. The the fact that they look, they looked so good against LA, and then they yeah, I mean, against Salt Lake they didn't look good. A little bit of change for the game on on Friday night there. Chani had I don't know if he was injured, but he, he definitely wasn't fully fit. Robo basically said he wasn't fit, so Tybert came in. He does a different job altogether, but. I agree that there just doesn't seem to be any identity really with the team just now. You'd, injuries play a part in that, but it's hard to say just what the team's identity is. I, I think the team still lacks leaders too. Um, I know they have Waston and you know him and Parker had a little dust up. Well, they were celebrating in the end there and they're slapping each other in the face. But I still don't think <laughs> that was super. That was fantastic. And, and the yeah. picture that came out was really yes, fantastic. Yeah. But I, I just don't. I, I feel like the leadership on the field itself is lacking. There's like nobody that really gets the team going and gets the team forward if they need to get forward. It just from watching from above, it just doesn't seem like it's happening. I, I don't know what any, if you're seeing it on TV differently or in the stands differently. So, uh, yeah, that's my biggest concern about the team. Like, you're talking about um, it doesn't have an identity. I think that has to do with the leadership on the pitch, too. For sure. Because you got to get it going right off the bat, and sometimes they don't have that. Yeah, it's hard to deny that I, we haven't probably you know, really come to a place where there's a solid identity of, of who we are and how we want to play this season. And it's, it's hard to deny that that's not tied into all of the injuries we've had and all the, the, yeah, the unfortunate things that happened to, especially at the, as we talked about last week, especially those uh, attacking positions. There's so many, been so many things that happened, both injuries, a uh, trade uh, that I think that's kind of prohibit us um, from kind of defining who we are. And on top of that, is the is the Champions League? We talked about that a little bit on Friday after the game, uh, and 
I, I don't have more answers now, but I, I do think that we, as a football club, didn't do enough to um, make make it possible for us to do our best in that competition, but also protect our league's our league uh, league possibilities in the same way that Dallas did. But but isn't that kind of an issue though? That that uh, I mean, how many years into Carl Robinson's tenure are we, and and into the season here? You would hope that that despite injuries, you would still have an identity, and you would still have kind of a tactical approach to a game, um, or multiple tactical approaches to a game. Well, and there had there has been multiple tactical approaches to the game. Obviously, the other one successful ones. Okay, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So, all I'm saying is that is that I, I agree. Listen, they have been so unlucky with some of the injuries, and, and that cannot be discounted. And there have been all, there has been a whole bunch of different excuses for why certain things ha- haven't gone well, like this snowmageddon in in RSL, um, Champions League against the best team in the Americas. Um, those are all legitimate reasons why maybe they haven't been as successful. But you would hope that that some of that would actually gel the team. That some of that, you know, Russell Tybert has been around long enough that you would hope he could step in to a position when when one of the starters has gone down or Chani's not ready yet, and he should be able to to step in to this identity that you that the club comes out and and has this one way that. Um, it, you know, it's progressing every 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 week, and I don't think we've seen that. Well, I think Russell Tybert has has stepped in and contributed to the win on Saturday. He has played a role in the Champions League games. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying Tybert hasn't contributed. All I'm saying is that it's been uh, choppy in that um, different players have come in at different times. No individual player has stood out as being the reason for their failure or the reasons for their successes. But that that each match starts and you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how they're going to play. You don't know how. And I think that's an issue. And that goes back to the identity. And I do think that the leadership is is part of that reason. So going into each match, you don't think that the the the, the, this, the goal, as I think stated in the post match uh, press conference, is to be tight at the back and to take whatever opportunities we can create going forward. Uh, yeah. So, so defense defense first. Be solid. Compact, tight, hard to break down, good at last-minute clearances or goal-line clearances, and take our chances as they come. If that is the identity, you are playing with fire. And okay, that's I fair mean, enough. If you look at, I, I know there was a lot of moaning on, online, on social media, Twitter, Facebook. After a win, there was still a lot of moaning. And one of the biggest complaints was the fact that the possession was so poor. And you, again, you're playing with fire. You're relying on other teams not doing anything with that possession. You're relying on Usted having save after save like he, he did at the start of the second half. And you can't keep going like that. Whitecaps too seem to be playing the same way. The position stats today were more than 2-1 to one in favour of Timbers too. That was playing three at the back again, interestingly. And that was an away game. Yeah, and I'm, I'm fine with that really for away games. But when you're being out-possessed like that at home... And you're under the cosh at home, and you've got teams firing off chance after chance after chance at you. At some point, your luck's going to run out, and you're you're going to be two, three, four goals down okay, before you know it. My my issue is is I don't think the the team has the the players to for possession, and they have to give it up a little bit in order to take advantage of guys like Laba and Tybert who are going to harass the people that have it, and then maybe they could counterattack on the other side. So I, don't, I, I personally don't think they have the people to do it right it, now. And that's why uh, when we come to the poll question, what they needed for strengthening, 
that my one of my biggest choices is would fix that. I, I feel. But and but you're right. I agree with you, Steve. It is it is due to players. I don't think this has only been an issue. I'm, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think poor possession numbers are solely been a part of the Carl Robinson era. I think it's been mostly in most of our MLS oh, era. 100%, yeah. Right? Especially the first two, three years. And so if it comes back to players, right, who are players are going to possess the ball, who are going to control the flow of the game? Who are those? There's nobody right now. That's what no, no, but, no, but in general. The central midfielders. And, look, and more specifically, like look at other teams. What players are doing that? Yeah. Those are, those are designated players, right? The designated players are the guys who are controlling the game, who are keeping possession, who are – it's the higher-end players who are doing a, that. A Bradley, a Jones, an Alonzo, a, a Chara. A Ladero, yeah, Ladero, Valera, yeah, all those things. So and, and we, we have not – we have not gotten agree with you, good yeah. enough players to do that. Like Laba is not a, Laba, who's one of our DPs in the midfield, is not a possession type oh, he's, player. He's an attacker, a, he's a destroyer. destroyer. Yes, and then you got um, Brexier, definitely not a possession type player. Uh, and then Montero, who's a striker, and you're not expecting him to be a possessing guy. No, so yeah, Pe- you're right. Pe- Pedro was the closest we ha- we've ever had to that, right? Yeah, and the things personally, uh, uh, as soon as things got tough for him. He seemed to want to give it up really fast, and he gave away the ball way too much, in my opinion, for a, a designated player. So, so, so again, and we've talked about this before on, I think, even on roundtables with, with with UJ. It comes back to w- w- the players, as you said, and those players who are going to make those differences in those areas are designated players. And who's responsible for the designated players at our football club? The fo- the football committee. It's okay. not it's not the coaches ultimately I, who are making the decisions on those. I totally agree with you, but and maybe and I think Michael's looking to move on to the next point. But the, the the last thing I'll say on this is that we have seen that the Whitecaps can play differently than that, and I, I don't know if they're set up necessarily for like that that um, counter attacking precision um, type of team either. But we saw it with the with, with Laba and Jacobson against LA, who admittedly have a pretty poor midfield right now. But they were all over that. They were in the box. They were making run, darting runs. They were joining the attack, and and then the next game, even those those same players. Well, granted, they're limited in in their abilities compared to someone like like uh, you know a Bradley or an Alonso or a Ladero. Um, but we could see better from what we have now. Definitely. And there there are some clear areas of, of concern in the team. There's some areas that look like they need strengthening right away. RoboCity is still looking to bring in one or two players, and you feel he has to move some guys on to possibly do that. We talked in Friday's show after the Seattle game that we feel he's looking for a striker, a secondary striker, coming in possibly from England, and there's some feelers being put out there. But what we did on Friday night, and we've kind of been plugging it Saturday, Sunday, we did a quick survey, some questions online, just to get some some people to, to fill them in. Had a really good response rate. I think it's 210 people so far had responded to that. The, uh, 150 of those were me, though, so I don't know if you... Well, it doesn't count twice. Okay. Yeah. If, if if that was all the anti-Tybert stuff, then we thought that was you. <laughs> or me. It was one or the other. I wasn't sure. But one of the questions we asked was, what area do you feel needs strengthening immediately? So, I mean, what, what would you guys... If you were picking it, what, what would you guys say is the area that needs strengthening immediately? Well, I, I do think we need a, another another striker, partly just because of injuries that we have there, and it's it 
peers early in the season that were not willing to use or try uh, Kyle Gregg as an option as a big holding kind of target kind of guy. Uh, maybe that will change. Maybe it's something they're seeing in training. Um, so I think I think a striker. But going back to our conversation before, we, we don't have – I mean, okay, Jordy Reyna is, is injured. And, and we've been told he's supposed to be the, play the number 10 role, kind of that guy, person who hopefully is going to be the pulse of the team and kind of help create. Uh, Christian, I think I think Christian has actually been playing playing that role really well, Christian Bolaños. Okay, you had to clarify which Christian. Yeah, there. sorry. But I think Bolaños has been playing that role in the middle really well um, and I think has been helping to give us an identity going forward. And you, I think you saw it against Seattle. You saw it against L.A. You saw it against uh, even Tigris. You saw it against Tigris, right, with uh, uh, like that. Oh, the, when he mi- the chance he missed in the beginning yeah. of the second half, like that to me was like that was – you know, where he started the play on the one side with a bit of change of pace, brought inside, and he ended up finishing the chance on you know at the back post. And, and he has been joining the attack and getting being that that totally. second second runner into the box, Part, and partly because you've been given that freedom yeah. in that in, the, in that central role. But yeah, I think a uh, striker is is, is uh, I think is crucial. And then I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, a, a difference making midfielder would be another one. And finally, the last one I think is lots of people obviously are talking about uh, depth at center back. I, I, for me, we kind of have to wait and see with Tony Chani um, if he's able to to really make an impact. I think that's the type of player that I would like most to help try and immediately improve the team. If he can step in beside Lava and be a link to the to the front four players, Montero. We've talked about this. I don't think anyone suggests that he's the ideal lone striker. In a four-two-three-one, you got to get the ball to his to his feet. You can't be lumping these long balls into the corners and hoping for him or Bolanos to run onto it. That's not a recipe for success. So if you can get Chani more involved, uh, linking up with someone like Bolanos, I agree he's been he he's been very good. And I think they should be focusing on getting the ball to Bolanos because because he does really stir the pot. Uh, so if if Chani is able to develop. Uh, and and really contribute, then I agree. At the striker is the next spot, and if Chani's not it, I I I do think we need a quality box to box midfielder. I'm hoping that he can still be that person. I agree with you on that. So yeah. quickly, we like we said, we did a poll for that. Um, the options were striker slash target man, veteran veteran central defender, natural number ten, left wing deep plank playmaker. Who do you guys think uh, basically won that poll? Just quickly. Out of those five oh, positions, my guess would be striker. Okay, it's either striker or, uh, or one one position. Please. I, I think striker. Okay, and what do you think, Michael? I think everyone will. I think everyone will pick striker, but left winger would have been my choice. So the number one vote was a natural number ten yeah. at fifty percent. Um, striker came in with just under thirty. You got a deep line playmaker at about eighteen percent, and. A central defender left wing only basically got a few votes here and there, less than 1% for both of them. And I think that one vote was you, Michael. Yeah, I think it might have been actually, so there we go. That's because we have so many options. We talked about this before. That we have so many options at left wing right now. You could say they're on, you don't fancy any of them, but we have so many options at left wing, of the left side of midfield. The thing is, is that it's hard to, to say whether or not we need a natural 10 with only seeing about 10 minutes of Jordy Reyna playing soccer so far yeah. this season. They were such they were, such they were great. Good they were good. They were great. Good he looked minutes, fantastic. Yeah. So, it, you know, hopefully if he comes back in, I don't know, June or July, maybe they don't need a really to bring in a, a quality number 10 
because they have this guy who should come in. They just got to, you know, try and get use Bolaños in that place until then and hope for the best. I think people just haven't had a chance to look and see what Reyna can do. Um, and uh, for me, when I first saw him and I saw some of his highlights, he seemed more of a secondary striker instead of a number 10. And I think a lot of people might have seen that. And so that's why they're kind of hoping for a number 10 and seeing Reyna as a, a winger slash striker. And the thing with Reyna as well, right now, he is still in a walking boot. And that doesn't yeah. look a good sign for a, an early recovery from his injury. Normally, when these guys have had their injuries, they're out of their walking boots pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I think July might be an optimistic look to get it back. And the, the trouble that Robo has, and he, he's, he kind of mentioned this last week when I spoke to him, you've got these guys that are injured. You need somebody to come in now that's ready to go, that's fit, that can do the job. But then you don't want to double up in the position either. You might bring in a fantastic number 10 now, or a fantastic left winger, and then you've got your injured guys back, and then how do you fit everyone in the team? How do you keep them happy? Cap space, cap... Well, maybe Robinson would have to play with only a single defensive midfielder then, if they bring yes, in... Yes, and we will be... come to formation wow, in, the, in the second part of this. So we had another another poll question as well, and this was one that Steve said, and I'm going to preface this by saying... You can you might not agree with the whole premise of it. And the question was, who do you hold responsible just now for the Whitecaps' woes? It's tough to ask that after Seattle game. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, because <laughs> you could also argue, are there actual woes just now? Because some folk, these crazy people that's in the Optimist Union, they might say that there isn't any woes. The team's doing okay, and the injuries are just the only thing that, that's setting things back. But... Do you feel that the team is in trouble just now? Do you think there is, I don't want to say panic, but do you feel this big cause for concern, especially with this tough road stretch that's coming up? Yeah, well, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I had, we got a result in the last match, which was a massive match. So I think that, uh, I, I mean, when you, re- when you read comments online, they're all about what just happened and, like, you know, if things went well, every, we're amazing. And if things went poorly, we're the worst ever, that there's ever been. So, it, you know, it's hard not to get caught up in that. I think there there needs to be concern, right, because I, I don't think we are where we want, want to be when you look at the games we've had and where we've played them. We should be – we should have gotten more points at home without without a doubt. So I don't, I don't think anyone – I don't think anyone in the, the technical side, I don't think anyone in the coaching staff is like patting themselves on the back, being like, yeah, with seven points, this is where we should be. Um, You're dodging the question. Who's responsible? Oh, we know oh, his answer. Oh, no. <laughs> no, who's responsible? Yeah, we, uh, I, I think uh, we, we talked about you, we don't have the players to, to play to solidify a consistent identity. Yeah. Those players are your designated players. The people responsible for the designated players at our football club are the football committee. So if you think that Rex Shea, Matias Laba, and uh, the Colombian are what it what it takes, what it takes to uh, what it takes to uh, to do that, then 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 it's someone else. Uh, but if not, if you think if you if you think those are three the three DPs we should have, then fine. If not, then uh, they are responsible. Uh, I know most people will probably say the players. I'm guessing. Because uh, they're the ones on the pitch playing the games, or some will say, probably say the coaching staff. Well, that was my answer. Yeah, I knew you would you, say that. You pick the players. Yeah, I, I'm with Zach on this one. I mean, the the thing is, is that after high high five. Um, <laughs> he, he, here's the thing: you can only blame the players for so long, 
Um, and it's been there's been a pretty good stretch of well over a year now where I think the the team as a whole has not been uh, um, performing as well as uh, as you would hope as 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 we would all hope. Uh, okay, and um, you can you can blame some of that on the players. You can blame some of that on the coach. But if the problem consists for a long time eventually it's the people at the top who are the ones that are allowing this to continue. And, and um, in the, 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 you know, the, the committee, the football committee is involved in, in player acquisition. We, we know that um, the, they're also responsible for assigning Robbo and keeping him on and setting his projections for what, you know, what they are, their goals are for the season. So, uh, you know, you can be upset with the players on a game by game basis. You can be upset with Robinson on a season by season basis. But if you think that that the product hasn't been moving in the right direction for a long enough period of time, it's no longer that you can say, well, they're at fault. Well, they are, but so are their bosses, who are the ones who are, are putting you in this situation and perhaps not allowing Robinson the types of players he wants or, or giving the players what they need to be more successful, whether it be with uh, a, a higher quality of scouting or a or uh, paying more money for uh, private charters or asking to have games rescheduled because of fixture congestion early in the season with, with CCL. Those are all things that the, the club is partially responsible for. I, I would agree that they are partially responsible for that. I'm just of the, the old school thought of the manager picks the team. Once they go on the pitch, he has limited things that he can do. He can change things up, he can change formations, he can change tactics. And I'm going to come to that when we, we look at formation in, in part two, because we, we've got an interesting question on Twitter about that. But the players have been making too many individual errors, and that's that's not Robinson's fault, that's not the front office's fault. Going back to last year's Voyager's Cup, Waston and Eistead collide. Whose fault is that? You can't say that's the front office's fault that they failed and that's well, that play is very simple. The keeper has to call it. Yeah, what I understand. that's the, the players. That's nothing right. to do with the front office. Right. That's nothing to do with the but coaches. Do you, do you not agree with what Steve said earlier in that we, uh, we could have better players? In we, yeah, key we could have better players, but we don't. Nothing's going to change. They're not suddenly going to start spending money to bring in better players. They've said that time and again. So the players that we have have to rise to the occasion. They have to play well. And for me, they're not. So they're the ones who have set those parameters, though. Are they not they're, they're responsible for them? No, 100% they're responsible for them. But I agree with – I'm on Michael's side on this one. And I, while I do agree that um, uh, the front office – like you said, the front office needs to bring in better players. And I agree the three DPs are the issue. But this team has shown in times that they can play and in times they don't play. The consistency is my problem with the players. And that's why I pick the players as the biggest but, problem. But who is that down to then? So who whose job is it to make sure that the that the club uh, that the, the team is playing in a tactically sound manner and has some sort of uh, uh, some sort of a consistency at week to week? My issue is not the tactics. My issue is the effort. And I don't see the players list. It seems like they don't listen to the, what the tactics so, are. So and when, it feels like they're lost sometimes on the pitch. When you, when you in your and, job. And you see Robbo on the sideline just waving like madly trying to get the players into the right position, but they're not doing it. You have to put the blame on the players and not paying attention. So why, they, doesn't he, why doesn't he bench them and get new players then? You can't just do that in a salary cap world. You just can't throw players away and bring in new players all the time. 
the whole contract situation, the fact that they just can't release them, they can't buy players out that aren't performing, that's where it's crap in Major League Soccer because you can't just have a complete overhaul like you could in, in Europe. The, then their scouting has been not very yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a big, big thing as well. And the fact that they've got John Park in now from Celtic as their chief scout, and I don't know how hands-on he is, I don't know how remote he is... I mean, I'd be happy to go back to Scotland and, and scout for the Whitecaps just by, by sitting in my house. I'd be happy with that. So you guys, you guys are saying you feel like our players aren't doing like doing their best? Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah, that surprises me. Uh, uh, we've got a tweet bit. here as well from NoGoodBoyle at NoGoodBoyle underscore YVR. He says that the Whitecaps are the least accomplished of all the Cascadian and Canadian MLS clubs. Seven years of mediocrity? Where's the accountability? Who needs to go? And... I know your your thoughts are the front office, but something I was told, like Leonard Doozy gets a lot of stick, and something which I was told in the last couple of days was that a lot of what the fans actually say, Leonard Doozy goes to meetings and says. Oh, yeah. So folk are like, oh, it's, this is all coming from Leonard Doozy. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do that. He's saying a lot of the things that the fans are saying. So. The the Whitecaps front office listens and reads everything about them, like they you know that they have people who do if they're not doing it themselves they have people who do it and who are reporting to them. Hi, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so they they are ta- they they take those things on whether they do stuff about them is sometimes apparent sometimes definitely not not apparent or maybe not apparent. Um, but no, the problem is that there's no accountability. When you have an owner who does not want to be in any way connected publicly, and again, I, I read I read Bobby's Bobby uh, Bobby's autobiography last summer um, to just uh, to try and understand him better, and and I had time on my hands. Um, and when you read that book, it comes across very clearly. You have this guy who never will go public with anything. But I'm told he plays a significant role in the running of the club. And so when you have someone like that who's never going to be accountable publicly, it, they, they've set it up. It's like a system set up for like Bobby's never accountable really. Or he will never know on what level he's accountable. Does that make sense? No, I agree with you. Now, uh, we have to leave it at that because we're running a little late, but I just want to uh, update. I thought we're going two hours. Uh, we're going to update the <laughs> poll question here. So the, basically, who is to blame for the capsules? The people voting agree with you two. It's the front office at 58%. Uh, coaches' tactics, about 23%. Players at 17 And the referees only got 2%. So the referees are off. Disco is off. So we're us. right then is, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, and like for accountability, you ha- if you were to look last last thing on this, and then we'll, we've got to go to some ads. But the last thing, when you're talking about accountability, you have to think if someone's going to go, what who who would be the most impactful to be replaced? If you put another face in instead of Bobby, that's not going to count for anything. Absolutely, a new manager possibly. It all comes down to who wants to spend money, and that has to then come down to the owners for me. Oh, I think I think Greg Kerfoot is is extremely culpable in all of this. Yeah, well, they, they've they're, they're obviously accepting of exactly the situation. That oh, we yeah. Have. oh yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, you yeah. some I know some people will say he, Greg Kerfoot didn't create the culture, but he is definitely responsible for it. And we'll leave it on that. 
And you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. Broadcasting out of the University of British Columbia and the unceded Musqueam Territory. This second part, we're going to look at some... We're going to kind of break down the white caps a little bit. And we're going to look at four of the poll questions that we set. The first one was around which acquisition is likely to make the, the biggest impact. And we're looking over the course of the season. And the, the options which we gave were Freddie Montero, Tony Chani, Breck Shea, Shaden Williams and Jordi Reyna. I think you can probably guess who may have won this question. Considering we uh, we did the poll right after the Seattle game. Jordi Reyna? Yep. Okay. Everyone is excited to see Jordi. So yeah, I mean, Freddie Montero, 175 votes, 83% is going to make the biggest impact. Where's Basically your sh- because he's a striker. Where's the shirt? I thought you were making some shirts. Oh yeah, I, I still am working on my Freddie Effing Montero shirts. I might just go with freaking because that might just get, get away with it. So if we look at the other four, like Tony Chani, Breck Shea, Shannon Williams and Jordi Reyna, out of those four, which one do you see being the most impactful to the, to the club over the course of the rest of the season? Well, if we're talking one season, then yeah, it's probably the Colombian. But the other four, we've assumed well, that Freddie's going to be the guy that's, that's going to be the most impactful. Well, I would hope it'd be Jordi, but again, we don't know, we don't know when he's going to be back, which is... A huge concern. Yeah. I mean, it is, to me, it is a big worry because Bola doesn't particularly enjoy playing the number 10 from just little comments that he said. He does prefer to be out in the wing. Nicholas Mosquita, for me, is a guy that when he starts, struggles a little bit. And we don't have this natural number 10. And if you're going to bring in a number 10, that's a guy that you're expecting to, to be your number 10 for the year, in my opinion. Do you, do you not think we've gotten the best out of Bola when he's played as the number 10? I, I, like, him, I like him as a 10, but I think mentally to him, he's just not overly happy with that. I, and he tends to drift a little bit wide too sometimes, which I, I guess it's, it's good for him too because he gets more space. But um, I'm just worried that he is not, like you said, mentally he's not a, a number 10. He doesn't feel like, He's even admitted that he doesn't feel like he's a number 10. He's a more of a winger. I, I do think that um, a front four of... Freddie Montero up top with Reyna in the middle, Davies on one side and Bolaños on the other w- would would uh, be really tasty because you're right. Bolaños does like to kind of sit out wide, but he likes to. He's not a true true winger. He likes to cut in. Davies is the same thing. He can, Davies can go down the line and and you know and and get to the touch line and cross in balls, but. Um, he's also really good at cutting, cutting across the top of the box. Um, Reina, as we've mentioned, has been a guy who does is kind of a winger, striker type player. So he, you could see him making those darting runs out to the wing. I, I think that could be very exciting when when Reina comes back. If you're into tasty, I believe Steve's brought some samosas oh. in the lunchroom. Yeah, some sweets maybe. Yeah, I, no good boy wanted to know if there was an actual beer machine here. Sadly, there isn't. We're not even allowed to have water in the studio, so we have to keep running outside to go and, and eat and drink. So that's why we just leave Steve to do the boards. So that's he, why you got to bring a camel back like me, and you can just be sipping on this no, no, that's not, that's vodka not, crans all night long. That's not allowed. Oh, ah. It's just a backpack. I brought my camel toe. I, I completely misunderstood what you were wanting to have there. Going back to the votes, the, the two guys outside of Montero that the fans that voted feel is going to be the most impactful, Tony Chani, Jordi Reyna, pretty even with the votes there, uh, 7% and 6%. Chani 
it's impossible to say right now because we haven't seen enough of him. And we don't know whether he just isn't match fit, whether he picked up a little injury that didn't make him match fit. He was doing laps around the track after the game on Friday night. I talked to him briefly. They wanted they want him to be they wanted him to be because he hadn't played games. He'd only been training, so he's not as match fit as as match as fit they as wanted, they would yeah. as they would like. But and Which, I, funnily and enough, neither is Kakuta as he's <laughs> headed off to Columbus. <laughs> uh, Two. Twice he wasn't in the team, once in the 18 not used, right? And Greg Berhalter has basically come out and said that he isn't at the fitness level of the other guys and he's not at the standard that they expect, which raises a whole other question of how did the Whitecaps let him be like that? Well, and how, all, how did he let himself be like that? In all fairness, he's never been the fittest guy in the club to begin with. No. But you're right, there may be some uh, you know, disciplinary concerns there. Yeah, with... and how much did that play into them being keen to move on? Because if he isn't fit, and he isn't fully healthy, and his injuries are still plaguing him. Moving him on looks at an even better bit of business. Yeah, uh, the, the, that left ankle, I, like I, th- I think at some point this season it'll go. I hope it doesn't for him. Yeah, I, I really, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Yes, totally. You, yeah. Usually, when guys leave the White Cats, I couldn't care less about them. It's yeah. like I don't follow whether they do well and or anything. But Kikut is the kind of guy you want to do well. Absolutely. But you love everyone who played for the East Fife. No, I don't. Once they leave East Fife, they're dead to me. I, th- that's why, I thought that's why you love Gordon Forrest. <laughs> yeah, no, you got me there. But he came back as a coach. Oh, right, right. So there. And he's, he's Scottish and at the White Cup. You know, to, to, to back up the uh, viewer votes, um, I, I kind of also agree with him. that, And I've, I've said my piece about this, so I won't go on too much about it, about how important a box-to-box midfielder is. And if Chani uh, can step in and, and be that, that link between defence and, and the attack... I think he would be the uh, the most transformative piece of the yeah. of the team. That's a, that's a brilliant way of looking at it. He, he would definitely transform the team into something that we've not got just now. That might then go into formation. In fact, I was going to come at this question later on, but let's go to that now. Like, what is the best formation for the avail- available personnel that we have? And obviously, Robbo likes his four two three one. You've got the three five two experiment last week. Whitecaps two have been playing a three one four two, which I really like. Four centre backs on the pitch and um they've not let up any goals in the two games that they've played at, which is quite incredible. And did you see that moment near the end of the game? I forget who came on and Sem DeVitt was like, Are we going to the four? And they were like, he's like, No, okay, just three. Yeah. Just three, yeah. S- Sem DeVitt and Francis De Vries were fantastic yeah. today. But, I mean, the, the options we put in the poll were 352, 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, 4-4-2 diamond. And, and, and this, this poll was probably the close, closest contested one. There's a very uh, divided opinion on this one. What, what would be your favourite option? Looking at the personnel we have, not what you... Like, I, I like 352, I also like 4-3-3. But if you look at the personnel that we currently have available... What formation do you think the Caps should go with? Well, I know you, I know you kind of said that this is, uh, or four two three one is Robbo's favorite. But I, I, when you talk to him, and I think you might have said this to you in the past as well, Michael, like he doesn't really care about the the formation. It's more about how the, how he wants them to work together. Because I know lots of people have gone on and on about if you're not playing two up front, then you don't have enough attackers and not enough available. But I think they often feel that with with a four two three one that 
they can have six guys attacking. It frees up more players to get into the box, in theory. In theory, which right. we, haven't the, the, always, we haven't always seen. But right. again, the, talking about this year, Michael and I have seen both drills and seen them put those drills into play in games where they have been having got six so guys attacked. The same but it, it comes once in a while. It's, it yeah. doesn't seem like the players are ready to go up all the time. And my only concern with that is Laba is not the fleetest of foot. When he does move up, it takes him a long time to get back. I, I'm actually with Robinson on this one to some degree. I, I don't really care about formation either. Um, I'm more about um, what type of role are you putting the players into when they get into whatever position you put them on the pitch. So so if you're, you know, and I, and I don't mean to harp on this whole thing, but if you have a double shield with two, you know, two defensive midfielders, um, you would hope that one of them can get forward to at least, you know, uh, end up at the top of the opponent's box to, to have an outlet there. Th- they've been doing that more this season than they did last season because last season was zero times, I think, ever. Uh, this season it's been more, but it has not been very consistent. Hashtag double shield, no sword. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, no, like, they, yeah, they, they definitely, like, I think, I think even, I went back and, you know, watched the LA game and... I thought Jacobson like played really well in that fantastic, really first, well in that game. First, man. Like, first few minutes, uh, beginning of the first half. Because I thought it was, yeah. I thought you know, my limited viewing of the game in the stadium. I thought, oh, like it totally turned when Tony came on, and like that totally changed everything. When I went back and watched it, I was no. like, Jacobson was having a solid game. Was. L.A. was not great, right? But uh, Jacobson was playing a significant role in that game. And you're right, we we, and, and this maybe this goes into your point earlier, Steve and Mike about. Uh, about the players maybe not always executing what they've been asked to execute um, because, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't – it seems like it's, sometimes they've, they've – that the, the second midfielder has gone forward and sometimes they haven't. The one thing about that game that we didn't talk about – we talked about another time. We didn't talk about tonight. That L.A. game was, was that – it was right after that Kakuda trade. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it did like, for lack of a better term, light a fire under them. You know, no one is no one is untouchable. Anyone, you know, all your jobs are on the line. The guy on the billboard just yeah, got traded. Exactly. Yeah. The guy, yeah. And so it felt like they were like, okay, wow, I I, I do got to take this up another level, or I do got to be more consistent throughout this whole match, or whatever. So uh, just to get your guys, you know, we know what your opinion is there. Um, you don't care, uh, but the, <laughs> but the uh, who do you think won the poll out of those five formations? Four four two. I agree. Okay, so first place was four four two, but diamond. Oh, okay, four four two diamond. At Is that because of our logo? Twenty nine percent, possibly. That, that's triangle. No, but if you put two of them together, yes, I guess diamond. Diamond. Um, uh, second place was the four four two at twenty five percent. Third got uh, surprisingly four two three one. Four three three came in last before three five two. So three five two and fourth. I think three five two came in last because there's a lot of numbers to say in a little bit of time. I think three five two came in last because of what happened in Salt Lake away. It's a formation I really enjoy. Um, or, or five three two or or three five two. Four three three was the the last one. Yeah. Uh, my my question with for the winner there, which is the four four two diamond, is is who would be your front three, quote unquote, the two strikers, and then your number ten or your most advanced midfielder? Because I I don't know. The Whitecaps would need Reyna to get healthy, and uh, you know another striker. another player. Another or Reyna would be. Well, if or, they, if they are going to bring Gray. in, the, yeah. Or see, I, I thought 
Kyle Gregg would have got minutes on Saturday. I thought they might have taken Freddie off late on because Kyle is a great guy at holding the ball up. And give and give a curtain call? Yeah. yeah. But you can't knock it too much because they won. It's interesting that my two choices of the 3-5-2 and 4-3-3 are, are the bottom two. So clearly I am old-fashioned so and out of date. two votes in a row you've been on the bottom. Yeah. We, we actually, like, tied in with this. We, we got a, a tweet from No Good Boyle. There is other folk tweeting us. I know I just keep reading his tweets out, but it's like he is not the only one listening to this show. Or or is he? He's kind of curious to know if we think that Robbo lacks sufficient tactical IQ for MLS, which kind of ties in with formation. I think there's been a bit of a shift even in recent years that um, that more advanced tactical acumen has have really started to, to enter into the league with, with the likes of... Uh, Tata Martino, Tata Martino, and um, uh, so I, I, th- I think that perhaps that's changing. I hope it's not changing, and Robinson's getting getting passed by to some degree. And for all I dislike him, Caleb Porter does seem to to um, really have a tactical approach that is is obvious. And actually, one of the things I really do appreciate about him is that he actually will talk about that specifically tactics after each game. Um, I don't know if I, I hope it's not Robinson getting passed by the problem. The problem I don't understand is, and we've we've talked about this. Kind of goes back to the last point, which was, who is are the players not uh, doing what Robinson is asking them to do, uh, or is it that Robinson is not clear in how to, you know, defensively structure your your team? Like with the three five two, it was a d- total disaster. I know that that's kind of a blip, but. Um, you know, is this Robinson being unable to explain his tactical approach or is this that the players just aren't doing what he's telling them to do? And that's kind of the tough part to, you know, decipher. I think, I think they know what he wants. They know what he wants them to do. And I think for the most part, they try their, their best to, to do that. I think, I think, I think Robbo, and maybe Michael will have a, a deeper opinion on this. I think Robbo doesn't. One, I don't. I know Caleb does it. Yeah, I've been in one of. I've sat in one of his conferences for press conferences for Michael to get audio or whatever. And yeah, he he goes into quite a bit of tactical uh, breakdown and stuff. I don't always know if that's the best. Like, and 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 I don't really know if that's going to be meaningful in the for the Vancouver media. To be honest, no, I, I don't think they. They understand because, what's going on. But I think that's partly that he does that and then they're like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. Right. So they're like, oh, we, but we the won't thing question is, that because we don't know any better. But if you ask if you ask Robbo about tactics or plays or setups or whatever, he'll – I think he – I've you know I've heard him speak freely about what they're doing, why they're doing, why they're not doing something else. So I, I don't think there's – I don't think his IQ is off no, at all personally. I, I, I remember that the, after one game he had said oh, – I said to the players, look, this, this is just – this is tomorrow's fish and chip paper, which most folk here won't get. And yeah. squad player on Twitter tweeted out going, really not sure the players are going to understand what he's just told them there. So maybe he, he likes using all these phrases. But maybe they have no them. idea what he talks about. Yeah. I think the the one point of evidence that you can point to is with with uh, Stephen Betashur, and that's that prior to coming to Vancouver, uh, he was very involved in an attacking manner. Uh, then he came to Vancouver, and we all went, "Where did Stephen Betashur's attacking, you know, impetus go?" 
And now he's gone to uh, Toronto, granted playing in a completely different system with, mm-hmm. a, with a 5-3-2. But, I mean, he, he assisted on a goal last week. Um, for the other fullback. For the other fullback, right. Yeah. So so I think it's clear evidence that there is a tactical approach that Robinson is taking, and it is defense first. So, you know, whether or not that that's something that's working in today's MLS, I don't know. Well, speaking of Stephen Betashore, he's obviously moved on. And we got a new another poll question that uh, we decided to ask because everybody's talking about oh we got to bring this guy in we got to bring this in we got to fix the formation. Obviously, in order to do that, we have to players have to move on. So we asked which player needs to move on. Now the options we gave is uh, Kristen Chichera, Russell Tybert, Matias Lava, Eric Hurtado, or Christian Dean. Now I know Zach, you appreciate everybody there, and if you want to abstain, you don't have to answer this. Uh, so I'll start with Jay. Uh, which of those guys do you think needs to move on, whether it's to bring somebody in different or just to maybe change the formation? They maybe not, might not be needed in the new formation. This is a tough question for a couple of reasons. One is that Kristen Tichera, who had been a kind of a scapegoat for quite a long time, the last couple of games he's really started to improve. Yeah, but you, is that, it, but you got but you got to understand is that a blip? Or is that is that question. so you got to look right. at the whole time in whole and just not I look agree. at the last. But his first games. season, he was fantastic here yeah. too. Then he had a stinker last year, and he's starting to play well again. So was last year the blip, or is it, or is now the? So it, that's why that one's a tough one. The other thing that you have to weigh in is whether how how, how does this uh, affect your salary structure? Yeah. So you know, I, I'm not actually clear on Christian Dean, but Christian Dean. Um, yeah, we don't know. How, he's off GA. So we don't know exactly how much his salary has dropped. Yeah, we heard some things in the off season, but nothing's been confirmed yet. Probably till next month. For for me, the the answer is kind of a cop out, but it's uh, Matthias Laba only because he's a DP contract, and it's so hard. I like Laba. He's in my starting eleven, and I'd love him on the team if he was your sole defensive midfielder. Uh, but he's not, and he's the DP, and you can't afford that and g- no. given the current salary he, he, structure. He got the least number of votes as well. He only got eight votes and 3.81%. I thought Slamo wasn't coming today. <laughs> I think he, he <laughs> I was, was all eight, eight votes. Yeah. Obviously, I voted for Russell Tiber. You want to get rid of all the, all the players who have been here the longest? Yeah. So but, Gersh, but Rusty, how would that help, though? Normal. How would How would that yeah. help? Um, it would make me happy. Okay. <laughs> no, it would, it would free up Ben McKendry to come in and be an attacking player like Russell did well on, on Friday I will give him that nothing outstanding but he did his job but he did, again showed no real attacking threat and we need those two guys to be both they need to be able to swing both ways goal line qu- clearances mm-hmm. are no longer outstanding to Michael be more yeah. fluid is what you're saying yeah well, that's another way out isn't it so um my vote uh obviously I agree with you I think it's Matias Slava because of the whole DP situation uh, because if you want to improve that, like if he was just a regular player at maybe 200,000 or 220 or whatever it is, no problem. I have no problem with Matias Lava because he's holding that position. That's why I have an issue with that. Same thing with Russell Tybert um, on the thing. Like he, if he's holding Ben McHenry back because they feel like uh, Russell Tybert, they need to put him out there because he's more well-known or anything like that, then I would say he needs to go because I think Ben McHenry is ready to take the next step. I've said it for the last couple of weeks. I even said it last year. I think he thought he should move up the depth chart or whatever. Um, but I think he's a – Eric Hurtado I have no problem with because if he's a number three striker, he's four, he's fine with four, me. Well, four. three or four, whatever, if you want to move up Kyle Gregg. Christian Dean, yeah, he might need to move on just for his own sake in that case. And Christian Chera, 
I still don't have any faith that this two, last two game is uh, is a consistent thing for him. So let, let me ask you a question then, because would it not? I know you're. This is a hypothetical, and it's a poll and all that. But like, would it not make more sense to use Tam to buy down Matias Lava and then just bring in a DP? Totally, but it's whether they want to do that because then once they've spent it, that's it gone, and it's whether they maybe are thinking of using it in other ways. That would also yeah. mean that the front office would have to pay more money for another designated oh, exactly. player. Their only reason Matias Laba and Breck Shea are designated players is to say we have three designated players. Yeah, it, it would be so easy for them if they really wanted to be, and that's one of the places where I think the for, where the front office is it should be held accountable is that um, they could be. Uh, using those positions much better with the use of the mechanics of the MLS. Totally. Well, we'll just quickly give you the results in the poll. In fifth place was Matthias Laba, 3.81. Christian Teixeira, fourth, 4.76. Then it got interesting, kind of. Christian Dean, 15.24. Russell Tiber only in second spot at 34.29. And scapegoat, Mr. Injured, Eric Hurtado, first and 41.9. He was first. And he I was th- first, yeah. I, I, I think that is more people wanting to bring in a striker and they're thinking that maybe Eric Hurtado needs to go in order to bring that striker and it might not just be because of Eric Hurtado. Oh, it could be. But as pointed out by a couple of wags, and by wags I don't mean wives and girlfriends, but people on Twitter pointed out that David Villa obviously saw what Eric Hurtado tried <laughs> against LA <laughs> yeah. and thought, you know, I could maybe try that. And then it worked. So, I mean, yeah. Eric's a trendsetter. Last thing, very, very quickly. Then we're going to go to some more ads, which hopefully we'll play this time. Oh, we've had a lot of feedback about the cocaine one, Steve, and I maybe wouldn't play that again. <laughs> but <laughs> which young player is going to make the biggest leap forward? Um, the options were Marco Bustos, Ben McKendry, Jake Norwinski, Spencer Ritchie, and Tim Parker. And... Why, why was Tim Parker in that list? Because I, Steve came up with that. I asked really, him the same really, question. It was, like, it was like that Sesame Street, one of these things just <laughs> doesn't belong here. Unsurprisingly, Tim Parker won at 61.24. The reason why Tim Parker was put in there, I was talking about like making the next step from where he is. Like okay. I think he's okay. like right now Fair he's enough. very solid defender. I'm thinking about in the next step would be taking to becoming like the number one guy surpla- supplanting uh, – um, uh, Kendall Waston as being the number one solid, maybe captain. Which arguably he already yeah, has I, done. I would actually agree that he's a, he's right now he's a better defender uh, than Kendall yeah. Waston is. So, and I agree Kent, that that Parker would be my pick in in that poll for the the player because I think I think he has still a lot of room to grow. That's <laughs> funny because right now I'd say they've formed a great partnership together that we should. I do hope they stay yeah, healthy. I agree with that. Yeah. Just don't knock each other out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll quickly give you the results and we'll go to some ads. Fifth spot was Spencer Ritchie. Fourth was Marco Bustos, which was very hopeful from the 17 voters there, I think. Um, third was Ben McKendry, Jake Narwinski second on 20%, and Tim Parker, 61%. So the final bit of this first section, talking about the white caps, is we're going to quickly look at how the, the season may or may not pan out. Now, in the past, we've had summer slumps. We've only got three away games in a row this current summer we've got Dallas Colorado and New England in the past we've had four games in a row five out of six on the road but it doesn't seem as grueling in a way stretch I'm maybe more concerned about a spring slump especially with the injuries and the four away games coming up Portland Montreal Colorado Houston 
We we struggle in Houston. We struggle in Colorado. Portland on good form just now, and those games can go either way. Montreal's in a really weird kind of mix at the moment. I don't really know what's going on with them. Of those two, the four games coming up just now, and then those three ones maybe coming up in the summer, what concerns you more, a spring slump, a summer slump, or just no slump at all? I, I think we have to get through this period of the season uh, a little bit unscathed and, and try and pick up some points and keep in the hunt for the playoffs. So so my concern would be a spring slump here. Um, especially because you could see um, you could see those these ne- getting zero points from these next four games, and it wouldn't be that unreasonable. Yeah. Um, Wait, what? You're with Michael on that? Well, I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen. I, I do think that a, a win in Portland is possible, uh, I, even though I think they're they're probably the best of those four teams. Um, you know, Montreal. We, we've seen it before that, like Michael said, they're kind of unsettled so far this season. Colorado's been in the dumps, but the, but it's terrible to play. We always play terrible. The, that's a tough one. And Houston, the same. Um, you know, Kubo Torres is on fire, and and you know they've they've improved a lot. Um, it's it. I could see this go, us going with zero points in the next four, and then you have a real uphill battle. Um, even if you get even if you get three points in the next four games, you're you're going to be at the bottom of the league. And you're going to be really struggling when it comes to summer and when we're getting those healthy guys back. We just need to try and eke out a couple, you know, good good results um, so that we can stay in the hunt come summer when some of our injuries start coming back. Yeah, I I, I don't I, – I mean, I'm, I guess I'm more optimistic, um, although not in a union, but I'm more optimistic than, than you and Michael are in terms of these next few games. Uh, I really think we can get something in Portland and, and hopefully that's a, a victory. I definitely think Montreal. I don't know if any of you guys watched the Montreal game, but yeah, I've changed my opinion now. I think we're going to get one point from the next four games, and that will be in Montreal. And what were you at zero before? I was at zero before. Okay, yeah. so, oh, you, so wow. I've gone up. So optimistic. no, he was one, including Seattle. Oh right, right. No, I was at zero, including Seattle. Oh, but yeah. for these four, I think we may get a point. From did Montreal. you watch the Montreal game? I did, well, I watched bits of it. They I missed all the fun. They couldn't score until the death on ten on ten men, and I know Atlanta is a, a respectable side, but Montreal is not in good form right now. No, and like we talked about on the, on the show on Friday night, Portland. What did I tell you? Portland thinks they're too good. What happens? They fell. They fell to the Sportings. A- anything can happen down there. It depends. Will Kendall kick somebody off the pitch after the final whistle? Will he punch somebody? Will he have a storming game? It's like you just don't know right now. Those games can go either way, just the, f- the fire of the occasion. Colorado and Houston. Colorado are struggling. This might be one of our best times to possibly get something out of there. And, and if history is an indicator, Robinson loves on those games to go out and just shut up shop and, yeah. and, and play defensive and try and get a clean sheet. And if it's nil-nil, perfect. So, so you could see even, because they have been better defensively of late, you could see them uh, maybe even nipping, nipping a, a quick... Uh, you know, set piece goal or something like that early, and then trying to shut the barn doors and defending for the next seventy minutes. I asked him as well after the game on Friday if he wants to try and go with a settled lineup or if he's going to just go with rotation. And I think he'll rotate, and I think he might look at the Colorado Houston games as the games where he can maybe experiment a little bit. Yeah, I'm more actually a little bit anxious about Houston, Colorado. 
before that May 8th, uh, I think it's May 8th deadline or whatever, who, who knows how many more players they're going to give away to Minnesota or, you know, any other team that would like someone from their roster. Like, who knows what's going to happen with them. But, uh, no, I, I think uh, I think we're going to – I think – I think this Portland game is is massive, and I think if we can win back to back Cascadia games, one home, one away, I think that that can set us on a uh, on our way onto a, a good four game road trip. I think we've mentioned this before, but it's it's absolutely ridiculous that we have to. Um, um, there's no stadium issue. There's no Women's World Cup that we have to play four games away in a row. It's like it's 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 ridiculous. It, it is weird. With injuries cleared. Do the Caps just need to stay in the mix right now? Or, like, hope looking forward to injuries clean, do the Caps just need to stay in the, the mix right now? Is that the main thing to focus on, just kind of stay round about the playoff line and then wait till we get everyone back and then have a big second-half push? I don't even see this roster as being the finished product. I'm glad that Robinson's talking about bringing in another player or two because I think if we were to get an experienced, proper target man, a uh, 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 a, a true striker, um, and then get Jordy Reyna back. Now I think you're talking about and and having Tony Chani um, be, become a little more involved. Then I think you're talking about a better. But that's weeks and weeks and weeks, and in Reyna's case, months away. So uh, absolutely, they just kind of need to stay in the mix right now uh, if they're to to hope to make a playoff push. One other thing we'll look at. We, we also we post a poll question, which we're going to come to in a sec. But the Voyagers Cup is coming up next month. Montreal is our opponent, and we're saying that they are struggling. The Champions League run that the Caps had this year, do you feel that that's going to be enough to inspire everyone within the club that they want that again? That they want to have that run? They want, especially with the new format and everything, that they're going to really go for the Voyagers Cup, they're going to go for the Canadian Championship and not do squad rotation and go for really strong lineups throughout the competition? Well, first off, one of the one of the things they've done differently than they have in previous years, especially when we first started uh, playing in MLS, is they've structured the season tickets differently, if you recall. They used to, the first couple of years are like, yeah, you get all, all 17 MLS games yeah. and you get two Voyagers Cup games, which was... So then they had some problems when that one year when we didn't get a second Voyagers yes. Cup, Cup game. Yeah. So they've they've reached, they've structured the season ticket. So your season ticket includes seventeen MLS matches and one Voyagers Cup match. And so we asked one. Yes. Oh. The one against Montreal. We've asked what happens if we qual if we make the final, and we we were told that for season ticket holders that would then be given to you. That would be. Included in your season ticket package, no a freebie. A, a, yeah, like a like a freebie, so that they don't have to owe anyone any, anything after anything afterwards. So uh, I think that plays into the the financial reality of it all because if you uh, have promised something to people and then you can't come through on it, there's a financial there was a financial reality to having to give stuff to to season ticket holders to make up for that 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 match that they missed the the year we lost to Toronto in the shootout in the, in the semifinals. Further to that point, I think if the Whitecaps had seen, I, I think they tried to extract a whole lot of money from yes. this Tigress game. Yes. And I don't think they were as successful, successful as they wanted to be. And if they had 27500 if they filled the lower bowl there, they would have scratched their head and said, geez, guys, we should really – focus on the cascade on the uh, Voyager's Cup so that we can get into the CCL again. So I'm wondering if 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 
on the backs of that, they're going to say, man, you know, next season, even if we were to get to the same level, we're going to have to lower our ticket step prices down a bit um, to get 20,000 people in the in the stadium for for future CCL matches. So I, I wonder if the the from higher up in the club, if they're not quite as focused on winning it, I think the players would uh, having that you, you can't tell me that those players even getting throttled by you know tigress in in monterey uh you can't Thro- tell throttled me throttled 2-0 well the Be- game the nil. game watch the game yeah, not yeah, the yeah. not the goal they were they were pretty pretty badly yeah, it, it was more than a 2-0 yeah. performance but you can't tell me that every one of those players didn't absolutely love that experience. Oh, they did. I mean, David Oosted talked. It was like a career highlight for him. And, and especially for some of those older guys like Jordan Harvey, who may not be able to get there again. And, and uh, I, I think that the players will definitely be uh, involved in this because they, they see that this is the way yeah. for them to get back to the CCL. Wait, is Jordan Harvey sick or something? You're talking like he's dying or something. Well, just if they he, – he, how many years do you think Jordan Har- Harvey has left in a, in a professional MLS club i think at least as three. a starter oh as a starter well he won he may not have another sure. if they don't win this year they, he may not you, you know he needs to win this year yeah. if he wants to play in the ccl again because he who knows what will happen the year after he's right. not young anymore i i think i think one of the motivating factors f- f- for this voyager's cup also is with the uh, augmented for uh, uh format for the champions league is this chance at revenge against Toronto for not only to play them in the final of the Voyager's Cup, but then to take away a Champions League berth from yes, them? Yes, I, I, it's huge. I think it's hilarious. If it had happened to the Caps, I would be, be angry. fuming. And TFC supporters are. Yeah, it's just hilarious. They, they think they, they're in, and all of a sudden it could be whipped away. It gives them the incentive in one regard to play a strong team and win it, so then they don't have a playoff game. That's a bad thing, potentially. But it also then means they can think, look, you know what, we'll just rest our guys, we don't care about this competition, and then we'll just focus on the playoff game. So it can go one of either two ways. Could you, could you imagine they put out very weak lineups against Edmonton or Ottawa, yeah. saying like, hey, we're going to save two games in congestion, and we'll just play whoever it is going to be. <laughs> that would then, be. Then what happens if Montreal were to beat us and Ottawa were to beat them, and then you've got Montreal and Montreal's B team? In a final. See, that's not right either. Last thing to talk about here. I was wanting to talk about ticket algorithms, but we'll save that for another day because that's about a whole 15, 20 minutes on oh, its own. Oh, yeah, I heard a just, little bit just about that. Just find out about that over the weekend. That's not the front office. That's Ticketmaster, isn't it? Or is the front office allowing it? Um, it's the front office's direction. Oh, wow. Although they've been like given advice about supply and demand. But that, that's, we'll save that for another day. Question we posed in our survey was, where do the Caps finish this MLS year? The options were MLS Cup, long run in the playoffs, quick exit out of the playoffs, just miss the playoffs, or crash and burn. So very quickly, what would be your thoughts from those options? I I think just the way that the MLS is set up, it's pretty hard to really truly crash and burn. There's so many people can be in the hunt even late for that last playoff. Yeah, even Minnesota card. right now is like right. still in the mix. You win two games in a row and suddenly you're you yeah. know above the right red line. So I, I do think that they're definitely going to be in and about the bottom end of the playoff um, positions towards the end of the season, probably on the outside looking in. I was going to put you on the spot there. Yeah. So you think they'll just miss out? Yeah. What about you, Zach, quickly? I think we'll make the playoffs. Steve? 
Um, I have them a quick exit out of the playoffs. I, and when I voted, I must have been in a pessimistic mood. I don't know what came over me. I thought that we would crash and burn. I was one of the votes for that. This is also the exact same time of year where, Michael, every year you're just like, the squad's not good enough. Yeah. We've got to bring in players. Every, I every I April, like April, every May. April, yeah. oh, horrible month. He's been, he's been accurate for most, most years, <laughs> yeah. though, so I suppose. In fifth spot on 3.81% was crash and burn. MLS Cup winners, <laughs> 10 people are confident we can win the MLS Cup. 4.76. That's I don't know if that was season. before or after our, our cocaine PSA that we played. <laughs> Um, in third spot, 16.67 said a long run in the playoffs. That was uh, 15, no, 35 votes for that. And then it was so close. Tight as anything between the two. Second spot, just missing the playoffs, 37.14. Quick exit out of the playoffs, 37.62. So that, that was the winner. You're looking at me blankly like math is not your strongest thing. Well, no, my wife I, was I, here. I, it's just pretty clear that everyone, there's not many, very many people who are too confident that this, this, this the team as it is exists no. right now is in a position to... There was one vote between it, 79-78. And obviously that one vote, uh, it could, whether it's just making the playoffs or just missing the playoffs could be a big save. And one that guy that makes big saves is David Elstead. And Michael, you had a chance to talk to him. That is a fantastic link. Beautiful. It's called a segue. Yeah. Is that not one of those things you ride around? That's how I got here today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're great. Yeah, we're, we're doing a new segment. I know we start new segments all the time, and then we do it for one or two shows, and then it doesn't come back. Where's the Mar- Mars bars tonight? Yeah, oh, well, we're going to do that, but there wasn't oh. enough of you. So. <laughs> so this new segment is all about books. There are some very intelligent Whitecaps players. We may have said they don't understand Robo's tactics, but there is a, a few of them that are intelligent. They're really into books. David Eistead is one of those guys. So we're starting a new segment called Me, My Shelf, and I. Just looking at his favourite authors, favourite books, what he's reading just now. So yeah, let's play that. David Eistead's Me, My Shelf, and I. So, David, everyone knows you're, a, you're an avid reader. If you were to sort of pick who your favourite author was, who, who would that be? I'd probably say uh, Ken Follett. Uh, I really enjoy reading him. I've uh, read a number of his books, uh, Pillars of the Earth, uh, Winter's World, um, and um, what's it called? The uh, the Third Twin, I believe it's called. And, and he's... He's very good at engaging his readers uh, throughout uh, the books and then keeping keeping you want to read another page and another page and another page. Uh, so I really enjoy reading him. And we kind of I spoke to you a little bit ago about if you were at a desert island, what books and stuff you would take. But if you were to look at like three books that are your go-to books, something that you go and revisit, something you'd want to have with you, fiction or non-fiction, what what books would those be? I'd say uh, Winter's World by Ken Follett. Uh, I really enjoy Andrew Agassi's Open. Uh, it's kind of a humorous book uh, about his career and how he goes uh, through a lot of these things. And uh, thirdly, 
Gus Hansen wrote a really uh, good poker book. I was kind of into poker at one time uh, uh, and then played that a little bit. I haven't been playing as much lately, but it's actually a good book of, of the game and kind of his stories about some, some hands and stuff like that. It's, it's actually not a bad book. And what's on your bookshelf just now? A lot of things, uh, a lot of things. Right now, I'm mostly uh, reading uh, homework. I'm doing uh, uh, Bachelor in Finance, so I've got a couple of uh, different uh, subjects i, I got to get through uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks here. But uh, I, I haven't really read uh, anything lately. Um, that, that's on my shelf. Mostly has been... Um, been uh, been homework. Uh, there is. I'm trying to think of the English title of the one I'm reading right now. Uh, it's a Danish book. Uh, I like reading both in Danish and English. Um, if I just say another one I love reading and would revisit, it would be Tolkien, because uh, he's his, his whole universe is, is impresses me. How he's uh, created his whole universe and is writing by that. So Col- Tolkien's books are, are amazing as well. Do you have your kids as avid readers, or are they still uh, a little bit too young? Yeah, no. We, uh, I, I try to read from uh, every night and then different things, and uh, it's obviously most uh, picture books. And uh, my daughter really enjoys uh, anything with a princess in it or, uh, or something like that. So I'll, I'll read to them uh, most nights and uh, and have them, them look over books and stuff. I think it's important to, to get your kids into these things and, and have them have them read themselves, but also just have that quality time with them. That's great. Thanks so much for your time and good luck on Friday. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Dear sir or madam, will you read my book? Yes, to write. Will you take a look? Based on a novel by a man named Lear. And I need a job, so I want to be a paperback writer. That was David Ousted there in our new segment called Me, My Shelf and I. We've got Francis de Vries coming up next uh, week doing that. And he's a very, very intelligent man altogether. So what we're going to do now, we're going to wrap up part one of this podcast or show. And how we're going to do the show is we're going to do two different, two different podcasts. This Whitecaps chat is going to be in podcast number 188. And then everything we do after the next set of ads is going to be in podcast 189. So that's our Whitecaps chat done. After the break, we're going to be talking about the 2026 World Cup bit and the Canadian Premier League. We're also going to hear from Colin and Willie from TSS Rovers. Unfortunately, Jay Duke is going to have to leave us for the, the second part of the show. You can follow Jay on Twitter at J underscore Duke. Just before we go, just let everyone know where they can find you online. We'll start with you, Zach. Yeah, it's at Zachary AM on Twitter. I'm part of the Movement Curva Collective. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. I'm Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We're going to bring you this podcast, as, or this show, as two separate podcasts, number 188 and 189. The Whitecaps podcast will be out on Monday. The chat about the World Cup, Premier League, TSS, that will be out on Thursday. So watch for that in your RSS podcast feeds. Next weekend, I won't be here. I'll be in Portland. So it's going to be Steve, hopefully Zach, maybe a couple of special guests as well. We'll see what happens. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps.
Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Thank you.